is God's word. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, as we come into this room from all different places and different walks of life, um, we acknowledge that believing these things and a lot of the words that have been on the screen, believing in that there's something we need to pay attention to in these ancient scriptures, that's very difficult. And we're full of doubts, struggles, um, barriers to belief. Some of us come here this morning and we wonder if it was a mistake to even be here, if this is the right kind of place for us to thrive and to, to grow as a person. And, and we're just full of doubt and questions. And others of us, we might come with a lot of pain or, or sorrow, grief that we're working through. And it can be overwhelming at times, so much so that we, have, we often believe that you're so distant that we wonder if it's even worth it to hang on to the, th- the thread of belief that we have. And at the same time, there's those of us here who maybe you've answered a specific prayer. You've been very present in some way, in a way maybe we never imagined. And so we come with joy and thankfulness. And in all these different places um, that we come from are, are valid and are valid places where you meet us. And you keep saying over and over in these, this story in Scripture that even though we find that our lives are a mess, and often we bring the mess on ourselves, you refuse to turn away. You refuse to run away from us. You move towards us with your grace in Jesus. And that's the overwhelming picture that you give us, that you want us to know. So I pray this morning that you'd Show that grace to us in a way that our lives might be transformed wherever we find ourselves. Speak to us with words of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, so last night, I got to do something so fun. And a couple of you were even, maybe one of you was even there participating in it as well. So the, it was a, the new tradition, uh, the Sacramento Manhunt. It's the first time this ever happened. And uh, it started by Old Sacramento and ended on Alhambra by the Safeway, so a two-and-a-half-mile chase. And the runners had to go on foot, and they got a seven-minute lead, a seven-minute start, head start. And the chasers could go on bikes and in cars and whatever. 
to chase these people who had things around their wrists to identify who was who. And there were boundaries, but you had to make it, you know, to the safe way in order to win. And there's no prize. Just that you get, if, if you're, no prize, just if you're a preacher, you get to talk about it as you start your sermon the next day. Um, so I was a runner, which is totally my style, just, you know, being sneaky. I don't know if it's my personality or the fact that, that I, just, I just finished a, a Clive Cussler spy novel and I felt like I was just, you know, an international spy trying to get to the other side of town. I, I had a little bag. My, my, I was the only person who did this. I changed clothes midway through. Uh, and uh, so I... I looked kind of like I was trying to be a stealthy kind of runner when I started, but then midway through I put on long sleeves and pants, and then I just carried my bag and I strolled boldly down J Street, um, and no one ever noticed me, and I got all the way there. It was actually kind of boring and uneventful by the time um, I didn't get chased once, so um, except right at the end. But so, so that's just kind of a I don't know. That's a, I I saw that event and I said I have to do that, and I'm going to be a runner. That is just my, my kind of my sneaky personality. I. It goes back further. In high school, I, I loved basketball, and I was trying to figure out ways to get into the gym, which was a few blocks away from my house, to get there more often. It, it was the school gym, the school that I went to, and eventually in high school, I borrowed, <laughs> hatched a little plan, to borrow the janitor's key, make a copy of it, and, um, yeah, I can't even, I even believe I did this. So it, and it made a copy of it, and then I would go to the gym late at night, and I had this way of covering the windows and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and of course, I got caught. And so how that one ended up was me sitting in front of the principal, you know, the next Monday, and him saying, you know, telling me how terrible it was that I did that, and then saying, you know, what you, what you have to do now is you have to, you know, basically work for a week after school with the yard maintenance crew at the school. So I had to pay off the, you know, that was my punishment. I had to do all this work to sort of pay off my mistake that I made. And, and they took the key back and no more playing in the gym late at night. Isn't that, isn't that what we imagine Christianity, the, the Christian faith is going to be like to us, is that you've been naughty, <laughs> And, you know, God's going to sit you down and, and, and make you feel terrible and say, now you're going to have to pay off the debt of your mistake. You're going to have to do some religious duty, you know, to, to get back into God's graces. Isn't that what we imagine? And in this passage, it's very interesting because the Apostle Paul, as he's writing the, the, this letter to the Roman people and, and talking a lot about what the Christian faith is all about, he starts this, this section by transitioning, talking about paying taxes to saying what, what the kind of debt that the Christian owes. What is the kind of debt that we're paying off? And the way he puts it is so unique and, and out of the blue. We don't expect this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. It's, it's, it's a different way. It's not the gospel and the Christian faith doesn't come at you and say, you owe God. You know, if you want to be a part of this, come in and start paying off that debt. It doesn't work like that. It ends up saying this strange thing of an ongoing debt to love one another. Well, how do we think about that? Well, picture it like this. Um, some of you have experienced going into debt for one reason or another, having loans to pay off, maybe for school. Imagine you are in debt way over your head. I mean, just it's going to take a lifetime to pay off this lender. Um, and you're just buried in this debt. And what happens is the lender, it's just 
one person, let's say, the lender comes and says, you know what? I want you to be free of this debt and I'm going to pay it off out of my own reserves. I'm not going to make you work for it. You can stop making those monthly payments. I've paid it off. In fact, you look at your account balance on this particular debt and it's in the black. It's lavishly filled. There's a new account for you to draw from that you're, that you're able to write checks out to. And if this analogy, if you carry this through, then it gets you into what's going on in verse 8. That what are you, in terms of the Christian faith, what are you to then write checks to out of this account? Well, your debt. Oh, you think it's, you've got to pay off the one who, who forgave your debt. No. Your debt is now to just spend that loving other people. You get that, that kind of dynamic? That's, that's the Bible. The Bible's always presenting us uh, pictures of God's grace like that and how he, his relationship with us is. And they always... They, they often involve some very extreme, out-of-this-world uh, dynamic to them. You know, it might be some kind of story about how things normally work, you know, like a debt. But, and then there's some twist to it, like that lavish filling up of your debt account. And now you're, you're in the plus, and you're, it's so much you're never going to be able to even empty this account. The, 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 the Bible's always giving us some amazing, outstanding, lavish twist to how God has come into our life with His grace. And the old preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the Lord multiplies His grace. It's a quote from your worship guide. He, he multiplies His grace. He is always slow to anger, but He is always lavish in His grace. Another, uh, another current preacher from Seattle that I actually listen to once in a while tells this story about... Um, going to the ice cream store with his daughters or the yogurt store. He says this, I took my two daughters, Abby and Flannery, out to get something fun to drink at a coffee stand. Abby got an apple juice juice, and Flannery got a mango surprise. Okay, not yogurt. Forget what I said. Uh, despite my insistence that I would pay, and as, as a, a parent of, of little kids who are learning about money, this, this totally, you might not think this makes sense, but this is totally how it works. Despite my insistence that I would pay, my daughters had brought the contents of their piggy banks, a combined total of 80 cents. As we were walking up to the counter, one of them said, I want to pay for mine. This is totally how it works. I assured her, Daddy's going to get it. Nonetheless, she insisted, I'm paying for mine. So as the, as the clerk rang it up, he said, that'll be $2.06. And she put her change on the, comp, on the counter. Um, that's... That's not enough, the clerk responded. And then he says, I felt a little tug on my sweater from my other daughter. And I looked down and she said, I think I'd like to use your money. <laughs> this, this, is the, you know, this is the dynamic, actually, of God's grace in our life is that it comes to us so lavish and yet we continue to say, I want to pay. Can I pay it off? Please, can it not work that way? Can I hang on to my pride a little bit and be able to do something to convince myself I'm able to get into your good graces? And so part of, part of getting into the message of the Christian faith is just admitting how and seeing yourself how often you want to make it about, I want to use my money. I want to, I want to be assured I can pay it off. It's this, this ludicrous dynamic that if we're forgiven of this debt, for some reason we just want to keep making monthly payments for some reason with God. Like we're programmed to ignore grace. And as if the Apostle Paul knows that so well about human nature, 
he, he comes in and says, okay, you want to feel like you're in debt in some way? Well, you are in a sense with the gospel. You have this continuing debt to, to love one another. It's, just, it's ongoing. You never pay it off. So go ahead, write some checks, make some payments on that. It's an unusual way that Christianity gets into the issue of obedience is that it's always responding to God's grace. Anything you would do as a Christian is done in response. It's not to get a response from I do this because I want to get this loving response from God. It's God has done this. God has forgiven so lavishly. He's loved me so much that I want to respond in some way that at least, at least reflects what's happened in my life already. That's how the gospel works. And, and I can hear someone thinking, well, you know, I, I maybe hear about that kind of grace in the, in the New Testament, you know, with Jesus and, and these kind of letters that we're reading from. But it wasn't it different back in the Old Testament? Wasn't it more about, you know, just do all these rules? What were all those commandments about anyway? Do all these rules and then maybe God will accept you, right? Well, it's interesting that, that Paul here in verses 9 and 10 gets into those ancient, those old commandments. And he says, they're all summed up by love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that he, in the middle of this reality of Jesus that he's talking about in this, in this letter, that he goes back to the Ten Commandments. Our assumption is that they, they work kind of opposite to grace, right? That you earn God's favor through the... But actually, if you go back and look, it fits perfectly within the picture of grace. Because how do, how do they start? Um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. They start, the whole statement of the Ten Commandments starts with the statement of how God has lavishly poured out His grace on your life, brought you out of slavery, and you're going to this promised land. It's like that, that new account that's filled up way beyond what you deserve. I brought you out of Egypt. Now, here's a few things that you should know about living. Here's a few ways to respond to this amazing gift that, um, that I've given you. Here's how to live amidst that kind of grace. And if you're beginning to integrate God's grace for your life, you're beginning to integrate that with your daily life in some way, you might begin to find it possible to do what Paul says. You might find it possible a little bit to begin to do what he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's an abnormal way to, to love and to behave towards other people. Is that you? Um, Jesus said it it's almost the same in a sense. He said in Matthew chapter... 7, he said, 7 verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And Paul, so Paul's just carrying that forward. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? I had, maybe you have people in your life who you've learned things from. You've learned about, even about how to, how to love others by these relationships in your life with people. I had a professor at the, the college I went to was a, a Christian college and I was getting ready to go to seminary. So one of my theology professors actually, I learned a lot from about, about all kinds of things. And one of them was just how, how he loved everyone. I remember I had a, a real tight relationship with him. He was an advisor. He helped me with a lot of projects. And I remember you know, feeling like we had this great link, this really unique link. Um, and I guess really when it comes down to it, reflecting on it, I think I probably thought I was the pretty, I was the sharp student. You know, I was the, 
I was the one that he probably really didn't, he was lucky to spend that much time with me, you know, like, you know, and, and he was so gracious and loving and poured all this affirmation. And I, I even started to think, you know, you know, that I, I was kind of a, a cut above and, 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 and you know, because he, he made me feel so, so good about myself and my potential and all of that. I remember one day walking by his office and seeing him meeting with someone else. And it was, it was the person that I wouldn't pick as my friend. It was a person in the, that particular class. I, I had a class with this other guy and. And, and I, I wouldn't think of him as the, the sharpest guy in the class. If I'm picking friends and, who, and deciding who am I going to spend time with, you know how we tend to, even the people we choose as friends and choose to just gravitate towards, they tend to be people, it's sort of advantageous for us to hang around them. They're, they make us feel good about ourselves. They affirm our choices. They're maybe sharp and witty or they, they get our sense of humor. They're just easy to be around. They're not a lot of work. And this person wasn't like that at all. And and to walk by and to see this professor, Professor Sid, pouring himself in the same kind of way, just walking by and notice he's, he's meeting with that guy the same way he meets with me. It just, it just made me pause. And I realized, you know, what was going on in that relationship that he had with me, professor, student, was not that something about me and how, you know, how great of a student I was or something or how much he liked me. What was actually going on was, was he was displaying a little bit of how he had begun to capture what the Bible talks about is the love that we are, are modeled, that we're told about, this mysterious way of loving uh, your neighbor as yourself. Now, I, I think there was probably a, a, at least a dozen or two dozen students because you know that's just how it is. Each professor kind of gets to connect with some people a little closer. I bet there was a bunch of us who were walking around feeling like we were the apple of Professor Sid's eyes. I mean, just now that I think back and now what I know about him, I think... You know, he had a lot of people walking around feeling like, you know, finally I'm being loved the way I knew I could be loved. Finally I'm being treated in the way that I know I should and could be treated by someone else. And I want you to imagine, just just imagine someone else feeling that way about how you treat them in your relationship with them. You, you have your people, and, and, and think about people close to you, because those end up oftentimes being the, the hardest ones to love consistently and t- to love in this kind of way. Looking to someone and saying, really with a kind of love that says, how do I want to be loved? What kind of love am I craving to find in this world from anyone? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that gift to other people. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone, you know, if that's your challenge for this week or, or this month, the month of September, someone coming out the end of it, just walking around, going, "Wow, I'm, the, the way they're treating me is." Can you imagine that? It's it's far. It almost seems far fetched, doesn't it? Um, I think we find ourselves failing usually, failing miserably at this kind of love, and it's interesting then to transition to the next little part of this letter that we read. Um, where the Apostle Paul gets into a bit of a discrepancy between that picture of love your neighbor as yourself and the kind of behavior that he knows and he's heard about this community he's writing to. He knows the kind of behavior that's a part of even the Christians and Christian communities' lives. He gets into a, a, a discussion he often has about putting aside one set of things and clothing yourself with something else. And he talks about it like is, is the sinful nature, and in other places he's talked about it as the fruits of the spirit. And here he talks about not as fruits of the spirit, but clothing yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 
it's really there's there's a discrepancy in our ability, even our ability to love our neighbor and to live this out. And there's a way in which we're pursuing. We find ourselves pursuing a radical sort of self-satisfaction in the activities and the things we're, we make our lives all about. Um, let's, to, just to get at this, let's, let's, let's go back to that first illustration. So you have the, the lender, the enormous debt. He pays it off through himself, through his own resources. Then he fills your account lavishly and picture that lender then sitting down with you and saying, yeah, this is, this is the situation. You can't change it. Uh, but the, the only thing I ask is that you lavishly spend from that account. You know, here's, here's the debit card. Here's the check card. Here's the checkbook. That you lavishly write checks from that account on things I approve of. On things I approve of. And he, and he tells you what that's and you think, well, that's not hard. Those, those are good things. But then imagine how ludicrous and unbelievable it would be for someone to then go out and be spending from that account purely on, like, totally forgetting the instructions of how to spend it, it, spending it purely on causes that everybody knows that lender has, has set his life against them to put them to an end. I mean, and can you imagine how incredulous you'd be to, to see someone do that, to almost... To almost completely forget the situation and, and, the, and the specific things that brought them to even have this kind of spending ability and to just ignore all that. That's a lot like what ends up happening here that Paul's getting at in verses 11 through 14. Is um, It's really not living in the lavish grace of God. Not living from the lavishness of God as, as if that's your source. Because if you get how much God has loved you, then you become, if you really get that, and, and I'm not even saying that, I mean, I'm often very far from getting how much God loves me. So that's a constant struggle to get active, to understand, to wrap your mind around it. But if you do, then you begin to have seeds of this. You begin to have an eagerness to please God with your lifestyle. It's just, it's just a normal dynamic of, the, of knowing God and getting closer to God. If you get how lavish His grace is, you desire to reflect that lavishness and that grace. And you desire to reflect the giver of that grace. Um, and you, if you see how God has worked to reconcile you through Jesus, that Jesus, you know, He died the death or let me put it this way, he, he lived the life I should have lived, the perfect life I should have lived, and he died the death I should have died. And that was God's plan of reconciling me to him, to fill my account to overflowing. If you get that, then you would, you know, you'd be addressing God saying, what would you have me do in this area of my life? And when we get into the, the um, what Paul calls the sinful nature, it, it's things like, your, your sexual uh, behavior in life. It's things like you, what you do with your money. It's things like what you do with your anger. It's what you do when you're met with other people's mistakes. You know, your sinful nature. And what you kind of decide to, 
and what habits you have of just putting on certain responses in those areas of your life and keeping God out. And what the lavish grace of God does is it, it takes away a lot of your fears towards approaching God with those things, and you have, find yourself saying, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me do with my body? What, what would you have me do? What, what does it look like to follow you with my sexual choices? What does it look like to follow you with, with my money? What do, you, what do you have to say about that? I want to know. I want to look at Scripture and find what, what you've let your people know about those kinds of areas of my life. What about that anger that I'm holding on to with this, this egregious error that this person has made? Or what about the way I just keep these snap responses to people's mistakes? What does it look like to begin to be shaped differently in those areas of my life? In a lot of ways, you know, to look at, um, to look into Christian history, to look at the Christian faith and how it's come out in this world throughout the, the last, you know, 20 centuries. You know, Christians keep landing, studying God's word, understanding who God is. They keep landing on these certain kinds of behaviors. In, our, in your sex life, it, it comes around a, a sort of chastity, a sort of um, keeping it, keeping you know, sexuality in certain contexts that, that God has outlined. And, and just an eagerness, as countercultural as that is, to, an eagerness to look at that and say, yes, I want to, the fear is taken away. I'm not afraid. That doesn't seem so passe. That doesn't seem so invasive. I'm beginning to just look at that and go, how about I reflect God's grace in that area of my life? And you look at money. And, and over the last 20 centuries, Christians keep coming around to things like tithing. That, well, all of my stuff is really not my own. It's all a gift from God, but... You know, there's this, this sort of benchmark that keeps cropping up of 10%, giving 10% back to the work of God in this world. Okay, what would that look is that, is that crazy? That sounds crazy. But is there some, something there that I need to just open myself up to, maybe in small steps? This is what it begins to look like. And you can do that only, I mean, if, if all that looks terrible to you, <laughs> and often it does, don't just say, oh, I need to, I, I'm rough around the edges. I need to try harder and become a better Christian. No, 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 no. The problem is always a gospel problem. Um, it always goes back to, do I, do I get how lavish God has been towards me? Where right now in my life do I need to just sit with the lavishness of God and remember what fear, what struggle, what relationship is bringing up kind of the heart of the issue for me where I don't believe that God has reached out towards me with his love and forgiven me. And then the other stuff starts to happen if you can tap into that. And if, uh, if that kind of grace is driven down deep into your hearts, you want your whole life to reflect God's lavish grace. You'll never get enough of it. You never get over how grace feels. Let me just close uh, reading this. Marion V. Lyotoud in her book, The Sweet Relief of Grace, she tells this story. My dad kept a coin jar on his dresser. Every night when he got home from work, the first thing he did was head upstairs to change his clothes. You could hear the familiar jangling of coins as they spilled from his pocket, and he set them in the jar. When I was about nine years old, I decided his coins should be mine. Over time, I, pil I pilfered a few nickels here, a handful of pennies there, and before, before I knew it, I had successfully swindled my dad out of his loose change, and he never even noticed. Sometime later, the guilt gripped me. 
I knew what I'd been doing could only be considered stealing. I had no way to explain away my behavior. With a pounding heart, I penned an apology to him, confessing my sin and asking him to forgive me. I tucked it under the coin jar along with a pile of pennies as restitution. I waited anxiously for my dad to confront me. One day went by, he didn't say anything. Another day passed, still nothing. And then another and another. Eventually, I forgot about the note. Then one day out of the blue, my dad stepped into my bedroom and said, Marion, I got your note and the pennies. My heart raced. My throat felt like a marble was lodged in it. I was expecting punishment, but he seemed on the verge of tears. That didn't make sense. I had wronged him. He had every right to be mad and punish me. Instead, he said, thank you. And then he gave me a hug, and then he left. We never spoke of it again. I stood there dumbfounded. Why, when I fully deserved my father's wrath, did he instead show me mercy? I didn't deserve it. I hadn't earned it. I felt like a criminal let off scot-free. This was my first powerful lesson on judgment and grace. Since then, I've never gotten over the way grace feels. It's like waiting for the other shoe to drop, but it never does. Have you tasted grace? Have, you have that feeling. You've never gotten over the way grace feels. Let's pray that that would be true for all of us. Gracious God, we feel often so powerless to even get in touch with you and your grace. You have to come towards us. So open our hearts up to you, but meet us. Even more so, meet us and teach us and show us and make us feel your grace so that it might become something that we feel almost addicted to, that we keep going back to you, keep going back to the living water, that we put habits into our life that would ensure that we, not that we keep behaving properly, but just that we keep going to the right source of life, which is your grace. Help us in this and meet us with that grace as well as we approach the time of communion here in a few minutes as well. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.